Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends, taste, brands, and products. a very special bonus episode here for you all. We received so much great feedback, comments. Like, I mean, it was like an omni-channel experience for us. They were calling <laughs> into like the clothes horse hotline and there was lots of DMs going around. There was emails, texts. I mean, lots and lots of great commentary from everyone about these episodes we've been having on Girl Boss, which of course, you know, we're pretty experienced in and yeah it's been kind of our world I've been wearing a lot of blazers these (laughs) past couple of weeks just kind of you know I do kind of get into character every time we start talking about something it just kind of influences how I behave um anyway so we actually had a few more things to kind of just unpack about girl boss you know in particular with just like the merchandise uh, and, and just a lot, a lot more things. And so we just, we didn't feel like we were finished. So this episode is us kind of just digging into a few last things that we thought were actually really important that we weren't able to cover in the first two episodes. So this is still extremely extremely informative and um, interesting. And it's just a bunch of things that we hadn't really touched on. But before we get into that, you know, Amanda, I have noticed a trend happening over at your own household. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I believe your husband has gotten back into making hats. That's right. He has. Yeah. Uh, he was making hats back in Portland. Like, and it's I don't know. I guess it's not surprising to me, but yet it was surprising to me that making a hat is a very laborious process. It's not just like, boop, here's the hat. You know, we live in this world of like, you can go get a hat at like Forever 21 for like 10 bucks or something. But it turns out a nice hat is, it's a whole thing. There's all kinds of tools, there's fire, there's chemicals. And so we finally have enough space out here. Someone reached out to him and was like, hey, can I order a hat from you? So he's making hats again in the basement. And can you just – okay, first of all, there's two things about this. Okay. Um, yeah, And the first thing for all y'all listeners who don't actually know Amanda, Amanda and her husband Dustin are avid hat wearers. And I'm not talking <laughs> like a beanie. We're talking like the full-rimmed, beautiful, you know, invest in a good hat – couple and they look great wearing their hats. Um, just, you know, it's like, just, just so you know. Um, and so Dustin got into making hats a few years back. That's right. When you guys were in Portland. And mm-hmm. I think one of my, one of my favorite stories about Dustin is when he started kind of squirreling away in the basement and you didn't even know what he was doing down there. Can you just, <laughs> can you just do that little story? It's true. You know, I, I mean, I just am not a basement person and he was hanging out all there down there all the time and I would see weird things come home with him. <laughs> like weird metal tables and wheels and mechanical things and big bottles of chemicals and I just was like whatever. I mean, he could be doing anything down there. I'm sure yeah. it's fine. I love that you also just didn't inquire. <laughs> you just then, let it go. I just let it go cuz he's always like, you know, he's always building 
guitars and yeah. doing other weird stuff. I don't so know. Just tooling around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So he came upstairs and one day and was like, hey, what do you think of this hat? And I was like, oh, it's nice. And he's like, oh, put it on. And I was like, oh, this is a really nice hat. And he's like, I made it. And I was like, wait, what? What? How? And then he took me downstairs and started showing me all this elaborate setup that he had built in the basement unbeknownst to me. I mean, there was like <laughs> an industrial sewing machine down there and like what? <laughs> weird, weird stuff. He was like constantly going to bins and coming home with things. And there you go. He is back on it in our basement. Uh, there was an incident earlier today in which he spilled a whole bottle of shellac on the floor, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in the basement. You don't even go down. There. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> what's and what's what's the name of his hat company? If people want to check it out, Industry and Agriculture. Oh, Industry and Agriculture. Such a good name. Really good name for hats. You know, it is. It is. It's got a really great logo. He did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he is making hats again. I mean, there's like fancy hats too. Are you wearing hats right now? You know, yes and no. I mean, not very often around the house unless I'm doing a Zoom call, but mm-hmm. definitely to go out places when I'm outside hanging out the laundry, you know, I don't want sun on my face. Um, it is interesting as a woman to wear a hat out here because, you know, I live in Amish country where men wear hats, women mm. wear bonnets, and I have seen a few a few Amish people look at me a little like, what? You know? Um, <laughs> and the Mennonites are kind of similar that way where the women wear these like bonnety things and the men wear, can wear hats. So that's been, you know, it's kind of weird. They, I mean, I'm obviously an outsider, but then one day I was blowing leaves and raking the front yard and I had like, like a scarf wrapped around my head, like a kerchief. And I was wearing like a long dress and an Amish man waved at me when he <gasps> went by in his buggy. <laughs> oh my god, that must have been that must have just made your day. Yeah, I was like, I'm really, I'm really fitting in here in the community. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, well, um, you know, let's just jump in. You know, we since you know, I had mentioned earlier that we had gotten a bunch of commentary and requests and things, and you know, we'll bring some things up that you know will that require a little more explanation, and then we thought we'd want to dig into a little bit more. So we'll kind of throw those into the podcast as we go along. And so kind of the first one, you know, we did get a request to take a deeper look at Man Repeller and what the hell actually happened there. Um, Cause it just kind of just shut down out of the blue. And it was definitely a shock to a lot of people, particularly, you know, people that have been followers of Man Repeller for a while. Um, so I did a little bit of research because I, I did not have the answer either. And there was so much happening at that time period, you know, it, like things were just shutting down left and right. Mm-hmm. It was, it happened a lot. Like mm-hmm. it was that month of June mm-hmm. where everything just shit hit the fan. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was kind of hard to, it was hard to follow all of the, the storylines. <laughs> so for some of you that don't know, you know, Man Repeller was originally a blog, and it was about a woman, Leander Cohen, who chose to dress for herself, not for men. And, you know, dress really funky, lots of designer pieces. You know, it really resonated with the millennial crowd. Um, she is rather affluent. So she was able to afford a lot of, you know, a, a lot of like runway pieces and a lot of designers and things like that. So it was definitely an aspirational blog, but it was, you know, it did inspire people to kind of dress for themselves and not dress for mm-hmm. other men. And, you know, and it really took off um, and it had a, has a massive following. 
Um, she has in the past, I mean, it's been around for years, but she has in the past had a few indiscretions. Uh, she had some rant about pregnant women at this time when she was struggling to get pregnant herself, which kind of you start seeing little cracks and things. She did mm-hmm, employ mm-hmm. a lot of people though. You know, she employed lots of stylists and writers and, and things like that. And, um, in 2020, June, like we were talking about, um, she was called out for essentially being racist, um, having a toxic work culture, and surprise, surprise, lack of racial inclusivity by her staff. Um, so during the Black Lives protest, she had posted an open letter expressing allyship and outlining the publication's plans to hire a more diverse talent pool and then publish more inclusive coverage. So this led to some commenters and former POC staff members calling her out for laying off mostly POC uh, women and keeping a mostly white team. So then a week, (laughs) a week later, yeah, a week later, Leandra stepped down and posted a second letter about a whole rebrand and doing a lot of work to make what's now called repeller a more inclusive culture. So, you know, it had all these aspirations to kind of really change its ways. And then in early September, basically about a month later, after the rebrand was launched, the company just shut down. Um, And the result was a quote unquote financial constraints. Um, what they were told everyone, but then a former employee took a uh, took to social um, and posted on her own personal account. London girl in NYC. I think this was in a story. Um, it basically said um, she didn't pull the plug because it was a mess. She pulled the plug because she's a narcissist. They had an investor, and it would have made her a minority partner instead of doing the right thing of stepping back and allowing a talented group of women build the brand to be an inclusive, chic, irreverent brand under new voices. She pulled the plug with no notice three days before the announcement of the new partnership. She told these women on Sunday of them being unemployed and told them they wouldn't find out until the following Friday about their severance. A full fucking... A full fucking six days later and told them not to ask about it before then. She also, I know, it's such a fucking girl boss way to even do all this shit. Yeah, it really is. She also, girl boss. Yeah. She also has made it very clear that she was mad at employees because they um, quote unquote fired her and gave her no choice but to step down after the press caught wind of her anti-black politics within the workplace. This was nothing more than a power play and a chance to, quote unquote, hit back. The website, you know, it's still live. You can see it, but they're not updating it. And um, apparently most of the staff, and you're going to talk about this in a little bit, um, signed non-disclosure agreements. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Likely in exchange for their severance, which we know happens. So, you know, a lot of that story can't get out. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, pretty upset about it, especially, you know, the team that was taking over, you know, those staffers are really disappointing about this closure, saying that the site could have really gotten back to its roots of being like a really kooky space in the fashion loving community, but also an evolution as like a safe place for people of all color to explore and enjoy fashion again. Um, And Amanda also did kind of recently uncover a report or an article that Repeller right 
before they closed down got about $315,000 of PPP money, Mm -hmm. which is just, I mean, it's just, just more bullshit on top of bullshit. It is. It's so scammy because that money is supposed to, and I thought there Mm -hmm. were strings attached to it, but I know it's, it's been like a whole mess, but that money ostensibly is supposed to be used to pay your employees paychecks so that they yeah. you don't have to lay them off. You know, Dove Charney got like $2 million mm-hmm. in PPP money. I mean, God. what the fuck? God. I know. Yeah. I mean, that PPP money, that was just like, you know, it's you get a bunch of money. It, it was a shit show. Nobody really knew what was going on. Like everyone was applying. Like it was probably extremely poorly run. I mean, you know, I don't know who was working there. I'm, you know, I can only imagine that mm-hmm. it just, it's so, it was so easy to scam this system. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. that really, really needed it didn't necessarily get it. And the people that didn't need it got a bunch of money. I mean, it's just kind of bullshit. But that's kind of what was happening with Man Repeller. And it definitely is, it is a sad, a sad moment. And, you know, there was a massive following and it's such a massive following that they really could have really changed the dialogue there. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't. So I mean, I do think like rebranding the name is step one because yes. to me there was something so like retrograde about being called man repeller because it implies that everything we do is still through the eyes of a man. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like kind of old timey sounding. But when man repeller began, though it wasn't that long ago, things were a lot different. Mm-hmm. So I could cut them some slack there. But I felt like when man repeller first began, it was really groundbreaking stylistically, right? And just the last couple of years, I was like, eh, yeah. it's the same shit I see everywhere else. Oh, a muscle tank with pat shoulder pads, that again? Cool. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know I know I know that if you if if you were like a brand and you got um you you got posted on the blog, you got tagged and posted, it it really could like make uh, make some sales seriously happen for you. Like I know oh, a no doubt. bunch of brands, like if you were featured in Man Repeller, like it it could put you on the scene. And I think that that's such a disappointing part of all of this is that like it could have put, you know, POC, small business, business, small brands, like it really could have, it could have changed a lot of things mm-hmm. and been a lot more inclusive. And it's just like, that, that's what makes me so disappointed that the, uh, that the potential was just basically just ripped out from underneath a lot of people that were, were trying to do good. Also, because, all because of one woman's ego. Exactly. And I feel like that's something that we come to time and time again here, both for the girl bosses that have had their day of reckoning and the girl bosses that are still out there. Yes. Right? Yes. But it sounds like most of those will get take, will taken down at some point because they just can't help themselves. <laughs> I know. I mean, the you know, since we'd recorded the other two episodes and we've talked to people and it had been on my mind, I was reading more and more and like reflecting on it more and more. And I was kind of like, you know what? Yeah. They just cannot help themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can't. I don't think so. Listener Elena reached out to me and was like, do you feel like we like it? We get a feeling of sort of joy or satisfaction when we see a girl boss fall. God, yes. <laughs> I know. And well, so uh, if you're not familiar with the term schadenfreude, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm sure you've seen it out there. I mean, and it. It has been trending, particularly in the pandemic. I remember there was like right at the beginning of the oh, pandemic. It was totally. like I mean, people were talking about it. 
as we're recording this, I just found out a couple hours ago that Rudy Giuliani has tested positive yes! for COVID. And I was like, now there. There. Schadenfreude, right? Right and there. If you're like, I know that word by context, but what does it mean? It's very simply pleasure derived by someone from another person's misfortune. Yes. <laughs> but for me, I feel like, I mean, the thing that I don't think this completely conveys is that you get that satisfaction from that other person's misfortune because there's like a sense of justice attached yeah. to it. It's not like jealousy. It's not it – yeah. you're right, justice. It's like yeah. when you think about like Rudy Giuliani or all these other like anti-masker Republicans getting COVID, the schadenfreude yeah. is strong because uh-huh. you're like, you could have just worn a mask and stopped lying, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I you know, I've been thinking about this since Elena messaged me like two weeks ago about this and – it made me think a lot because I have assumed, and I'm we're gonna go on a journey here, but I've assumed that I got excited when I saw yet another girl boss fall because my own experiences were so traumatic and just demoralizing and just terrible for me mm. that I was feeling a joy for those workers, that those workers who had been treated poorly and their toxic work environment were getting some justice. Mm-hmm. But then I started to question myself, which is, you know, what life is about. Because I noticed that almost all of the media coverage of these girl boss downfalls was written by women. And in fact, every every article that I referred to in our last episode was written by a woman. I couldn't yeah. find one fall of a girl boss article written by a man. Me, me either. Right. And I and I'm like, is that because women take satisfaction from seeing other women fail? Or is it because whoever's handing out, you know, don't divvying out the jobs for the week is like, well, only a woman can write this because it would be weird if a man did? I don't know. Is it is it this idea, this like antiquated idea of media where it's like, this is a women's interest story? Right. Like is if a man's writing about it, is it is it some sort of sexist commentary? You know, like maybe maybe it does make more sense for it to come from a woman. Right. So it may not be because women are sitting around being like, hey, hey, I can't write to re- wait to write terrible things about yet another girl boss. Mm-hmm. But so I'm still like I'm going on this journey where I'm trying to unpack like why do we get excited? Okay, I don't think it's because the f- the women that work in media are trying to poison us against girl bosses. So I sort of crossed that one out. I would notice every time anyone would be remotely critical of any girl boss on social media. We're talking, you know, Sophia, any of these, you know, Jen from Bandeau, all these other ones that have had their moment of reckoning, some that have been almost held accountable, but not quite. There'd be a lot of other women, especially female founders who would swoop in. And these would be people who fancied themselves female founders, okay? They had like a tiny business. They were a hashtag girl boss, that kind of thing. They would Mm -hmm. swoop in and they would kind of be like, you know what? You wouldn't do this to a male CEO. You're really setting back the women's movement by attacking these women, blah, blah, blah. If you can't be a feminist, if you're not going to stand up for these girl bosses, and I, you know, like, uh, I think you're wrong, you know. But I would see that, and then I would think, like, oh, my God, like, is it wrong? Are we, ma- are we making women? Are we holding them too responsible, right? Like, because it did seem like some of the male CEOs kind of got away with more than the female, right? Right, like 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 you expect more from the women than you do from the men. I think that's what it really is. That we expect more from them, which I'm going to get to a little bit later in the mm-hmm. episode, but apparently we can't, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like no. the simple part. No. That. No, and that's so disappointing. But we also knew that there was something going on because we've we've also worked we've right. worked we've, we've, I mean, we I know just, what was happening. We were just like, why are there so many 
like terrible women founders. Like, why can't we just have some? I mean, there are some good women founders. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. You know, but you know, the a, a big chunk of the really, really gnarly ones, you know, definitely saw their their day. They did. They did. And so then I was like, okay, well, you know, there's been this stereotype for a long time that women are really jealous and petty. They're super catty. Is this where it has its roots? And I didn't want to – I don't want to reinforce that stereotype because I would argue that actually most humans, regardless of gender, are often jealous and petty. It's just like who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized that the term here really isn't jealousy because a lot of times like the psychology game, jealousy is more about relationship envy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But when you want what someone else has, that jealousy is called envy. So – Oh, it's a deadly – isn't that like a deadly sin? Yeah, it is. It is. (laughs) So I wanted to look into that and it turns out that envy is the most common basic personality trait shaping all human behavior. Mm. And studies have found that almost one-third of the human population has a personality that is primarily dictated by envy. It's a third of people, okay? One-third of people. Yeah. So they – a couple of years ago, uh, some scientists did a study on human behavior, and they found that 90% of the human population can be divided into four main basic personality traits. So these would be like the trait that really kind of dictated everything else that they did. So it was optimistic, pessimistic, trusting, and envious. Mm. And envious was the biggest group among the whole st- all the study participants. It was 30% of the people. Being envious was like their primary personality trait. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I, I feel like I know 30% of the people I know are just really envious. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. That and, makes sense. Yeah. And once again, like envy being totally different than jealousy because like I definitely mm-hmm. have been jealous when I've been in relationships in the past, but I don't generally get envious of someone else's accept- like success. So I can see that even though we use these words kind of interchangeably, that they are different. So – Maybe there are some people, this 30% of people, who when they see a, a you know a girl boss have her moment of reckoning, they get that gleeful feeling of mm-hmm. schadenfreude because they're envious. But it would seem that, that most people, their sense of kind of happiness, for lack of a better term, is coming from another place like us, right? Mm-hmm. So, God, you know, just when you think you read all the articles about Hashtag girl boss, you find there's like so, more. There's so many. So, and there's so many. They're so good. They're so good. They're so good. So mm-hmm. I found this 2017 article from BuzzFeed called, and this is like the best title of all the ones so far Feminist Hypocrisy is the New Trend in Startup Narratives. Yeah. That's that really. Yeah. It's the nail on the head. And they talked about a few of that time. So like we have the woman at Thinks, you know, we had Sophia from Nasty Gal. There are a couple other people who are like, I'm not even remembering, but those were the two that the article focused on the most. And this quote from an article, I mean, it took me back. It took me back to Nasty Gal. It said, as one employee told Jezebel in June 2015, I want the young women who are applying to Nasty Gal, thinking it will be their dream job, to know the truth behind the company's external image of glitz and glamour. I saw too many incredibly hardworking, ambitious, and eager people lose so much self-confidence, self-worth, and motivation, including myself. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I mean- I I relate very much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had that experience. And, you know, as we mentioned in previous episodes, like- yeah, Nasty Gal was brutal, but actually the job I had after that 
like mm-hmm. almost destroyed me. That that is like not mm-hmm. an understatement. Like I had reached this point where, you know, Dustin would drive me to work in the morning. I would be like crying some days when I had to go in. I had started fantasizing that well, because I felt like I was stuck there. Basically, I'm the breadwinner for my family. So many people rely on me. I'm gonna have to keep working here forever. That's mm-hmm. just how it is. I'm trapped. So what if I took out a huge life insurance policy and killed myself? Then my family could be taken care of and I would never have to go to this terrible job again. And that is where I was when I left that company. Like that is why when I see a girl boss fall, I'm like, fuck yeah. Because I know what those people were going through, you know? And I want want to see all these toxic work environments be be revealed. Not – just the ones that are run by women. There are tons of shitty oh, places yeah, to exactly. work out there. Not just in fashion, but definitely a lot in fashion. You and I've talked about that. I, I I get this like giddy feeling when I'm feeling like the employees themselves are getting like a sense of justice, even if it's just like a tiny shred of it because it doesn't change anything for them. At least they can feel like probably what they've been keeping to themselves for years is now finally out there for everyone to know. Right. You know? And the fact that you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone in all these feelings. Like getting, even just you you talking about that one quote of, you know, losing all of your just self-confidence. Like, I mean, it took me years to get my confidence back. You know, I really actually felt like I was a complete failure. What didn't help that like literally Nasty Gal went bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah. It went bankrupt. You were set up to fail. It was just – it was – The first day I got there and opened my reports for the week, I was like, oh, shit. We're fucked. Like I knew that. That was like six months before you joined the company. I wish I could have told you. But I also am going to say that there is this certain like – it's like a sense of bitterness, like a sense of disappointment because I want it to be better when there's a woman in charge, right? Like I know – I have all these other incredible women who – are smart and hardworking and decent people. And if they had the opportunity to run a company, should they want that, who would do a much better job? So these girl bosses being an epic fail has nothing to do with them being women. So I I kind of touched on this in the last episode and I still firmly believe this. I would argue that there's a type of person, regardless of gender, who gravitates towards that CEO role. Because when I started to think about all the different CEOs I've worked with, for the most part, let's say ModCloth was the exception. Like the CEO of ModCloth was like a normal person. But other CEOs that I've worked with, um, those I've read about, the ones my friends have worked at, worked with, you could see a personality profile there, you know? Like there was a lot of common threads where you would imagine all of these people having to go away for a weekend together and just how unbearable it would be yeah, <laughs> to have to be around it. Around the alpha alphas. Yeah, yeah. So – from that same BuzzFeed article, they talk about Mickey Agarwal, who was the founder of Thinks, who was like the yeah. original nightmare girl boss, it seems like. If she were a man, her type would be immediately recognizable. She is self-mythologizing, utterly confident, even in situations where she has no good reason to be, and it serves her all exceedingly well. She is a tech bro, except she's a woman. Mm. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's that's true. That's yep. exactly what it is. It has nothing to do with the gender. It's this type of person. And we all know that type of person, you know? Yeah. Um, and this article just – it had like the best last few sentences. I just had to read it in its entirety. 
In the end, it's worth asking why we're so ready to lionize anyone, man, woman, or otherwise, just because they say all the right things. Certainly the stories about the hypocrisies of women like Amoruso, Agrawal, and Huffington feel even more deliciously ironic because of their founders' messaging, but the basic reason they treat employees badly and the excuse they use when they're called out is that they, like most business owners, want to be successful. That is, make money. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it's about, right? It's just about making money. Yeah, it's not about some Mm -hmm. feminist mission. And so- This is like the perfect transition. I didn't even plan it this way, but this is a great way for us to transition into talking about even more of the product that was made and sold in the like sort of halo of Girlboss. That's right, Amanda. And I did a little bit of research in the Future is Female t-shirts that we did see around, um, which kind of spurred a movement in this like these wearing these t-shirts and things like that so um a phrase that was surrounded or i'm sorry a phrase that surrounded hillary's presidential campaign was the future is female which was a rather mainstream phrase uh um at uh at this like post-election rallying cry um and literally everything what with the surface got the future is female or some sort of you know some sort of slogan imprinted on it. Um, So the phrase had its origins in the lesbian separatist movement of the 1970s, (laughs) (laughs) which is a school of feminism that supports complete separation of lesbians from men and heterosexuals. Uh, So that was the 1970s. You know, the slogan was printed on merch in the 70s to raise funds for that specific movement, but it never went mainstream. So fast forward to the Audis and fourth wave feminism looks to have started around 2012, it looks like. So the fourth wave feminism um, is characterized by a focus on the empowerment of women and the use of internet tools and is centered on intersectionality. You know, and I think it's really interesting to actually think about feminism and what it actually actually means, you know, because we're so used to it being just completely garbaged up with just wearing a t-shirt for your own right. But feminism is about other people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 to, to help build other people, other groups, you know, people of color, people are marginalized, um, and and help support them. Not just yourself and talking about how you're a woman. And that's kind of one of the one of the reasons why the, the commodification of feminine feminists, I guess, um, culture is so problematic because it just it took it and just it it uh, it twisted it. Yeah. Uh, and it confused legions of people who thought feminism was kind of just something else. But really, like you, you have to step back and be like, what the hell is feminism really? And you know and and uh, what does it say about us as a culture that we're just basically taking it and commodifying it anyway? So 2015, um, Rachel Burks, a feminist graphic designer and founder of the design studio and shop Otherwild, stumbled on a photo of an original Futures female tee from a photographer, Liz Cohen, and brought it back as an updated T-shirt and even eventually partnered with Liz, bringing in other things like pins and stuff like that back. And the merch was wildly successful. She was just kind of doing it. You know, people were asking for it. Um, 
And it eventually, like, she was, like, donating 25% of the proceeds to Planned Parenthood um, that was being threatened to be defunded. So she was, like, really kind of using it to help support some feminist causes and things like that. But suddenly models and musicians just grabbed onto it. (laughs) And that tea just went, was everywhere. Obviously, social media just pushed it out into the ether and it just blew up. She couldn't keep it in stock. She kept making it. I mean, she basically, her, like, other wild, that business was kind of founded on that for a, mm-hmm. a big portion of time. Um, and it really did help shape and shape that kind of trend of the feminist slogan tea as we go into 2017, uh, where it was just like, you know, um, sans serif copy on a t-shirt. Of <laughs> course, we know that it evolved into handwritten script. <laughs> but, but at that time period, you know, and I know that, uh, you know, Amanda, Amanda, You've definitely you you're very familiar with this stuff um, and the commercialization of feminism. Oh but. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, people literally built businesses off of it. Yeah, I mean, you can you cannot say that enough. And I would guess that there are still people to a certain extent who are making money off of it. There was a Absolutely. Mo- there was a time, and I would say it was the election season of 2016 I mean like the first half of 2017 let's say that it's almost like everybody who was interested in possibly starting a business of their own was very closely following all current events Mm -hmm. and turning it into a t-shirt within 24 hours so like there was a moment where Elizabeth Warren was just kept talking and someone said like oh she continued to persist or she still persisted Mm -hmm. something like that next day I'm getting line sheets nonstop from people who are like, I made this t-shirt. So yeah. she still persisted or whatever. And the nasty woman stuff, like for some uh-huh. reason, the nasty woman stuff bothers me the most of all. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. I just hate that phrase. But yeah. it was like constantly, just like a constant flow of product. And on one hand, it was great because it did allow Support people to- cause. Yeah. And it allowed people to be entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, there was just, I looked so hard I was like, there's got to be a statistic out there somewhere about all these t-shirts. There isn't because that's how many people were making yeah. them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really think that you could argue that, yes, the this wave of feminism is about using social media, but it's also like the time, the first time that like fast fashion and fast merchandise mm-hmm. was so easily accessible. Totally. And so we could just quickly, easily make product. And it just, and I think it's just, people's love of product and cheap product just kind of like <laughs> yeah it like yeah. poisoned the water and you could drink that Kool-Aid you know it's like all those like those terms you could use you know and it made it made feminism become a superficial fashion trend and the fashion industry grabbed onto it everybody was doing it like you said they could turn it around in 24 hours yeah and I remember being in a meeting at the feminist retailer where we we're making all these t-shirts and I said what are we going to do when this trend ends? And everybody was like, are you fucking kidding me? Why would you say that? And I'm like, because it's going to end. Yeah. Yes, there will always be feminists. There will always be feminism. There will always be people who are fighting for the rights of women and other people, right? But the mainstream people who are also shopping at Old Navy are not going to be buying feminist tees next year. <laughs> Old Navy feminist. You know what I mean? Like it's just like – That's not it. Like (laughs) Like it's just like not – it's going to 
it's going to end. Like all of these things go that way. You know, there was low rise jeans and there's high rise jeans. There's skinny jeans. There's jeggings. Like they all move across the country at a different rate, like regionally, but like they all still have a peak and they have an end. And so I was constantly like, we need to prepare ourselves for what Mm -hmm. that next wave is. Yeah. Because it's a trend and it was, it was a trend and it wasn't, it was, feminism became a fashion trend. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like I would, I wish that there was another name for it because mm-hmm. feminism itself should not be a trend. It's not. Yeah. But unfortunately it was a fashion trend. It was. I, it's, it, it was a retail trend because it was also all the tchotchkes, you know, I, yeah. I remember at one point seeing like weird feminist wallpaper you could get like, who's, why? Oh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was like everything. It was everything. So that kind of moves us into a micro trend, um, the <laughs> badass stuff. Oh, so we we racked our brains for all of the like subgenres and they're all horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'm gonna talk about the badass stuff, but of course I'm gonna jump in here because I know that you really were immersed in badass oh. paraphernalia way more than I had to look at it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, okay, so this was definitely a microtrend. Um, and, you know, I'm having a hard time deciding what came first was badass or girl boss because I did find some interesting stuff. Um, you know, so Amanda calls this stuff, quote unquote, badass stuff. And it's basically like feminism on a motorcycle or like um, it's an attempt to reclaim babe and bitch and give this air, air of edge. And obviously, it's all really commercialized. It's all just printed on shit. Um, so it's definitely a bit of a different demographic than, let's say, a futurist female or a wild feminist. Um, you know, we're looking at, looking at a lot of, like, cringe-worthy teas, particularly muscle oh. teas, lots of mugs, uh, plastic glasses, pins. <laughs> And, you know, just adding a little dash of aggression and swears. Um, so badass babe club, badass bitch. A lot of clubs, okay? Um, bad- <laughs> but it's, like, not a real club. I mean, I guess there were some clubs. You can kind of find them online. Can you imagine if I was like, Kim, uh, I'd like you to invite you to join this new club I've joined. It's called the badass babe club. <laughs> well, I actually was thinking, Amanda, is like your worst num- nightmare was like a person wearing like a badass bitches club t-shirt and sitting at brunch. <laughs> oh, okay. If we were going to do a Venn diagram uh-huh. of people who liked this badass babe club bullshit okay, okay. and people who loved brunch, it would be the same circle. It's just the <laughs> It's no, it's just the overlap is just pure. It's like a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the same person. There's no, there's no, not even one person who's like, oh, I'm a badass babe club member, but I hate brunch. Nope, no. Nope. It's all the same people. They're all at brunch together. They're being terrible to the wait staff. Oh. Everyone's drunk. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, so it's like you can get you get it. It's a badass boss bitch. Yeah, lots of clubs. Hashtag badass babe. Hashtag badass boss. Um, it's it, which is the subset of girl boss. Um, mm-hmm. which you know, it's I think that you know the badass babe is a little bit less of a professional element and more of the empowerment angle. 
Um, and that product really started to gain a lot of mainstream popularity in like 2014 and 2015, right when Girl Boss was gaining ground. Amanda, do you remember seeing badass stuff before Girl Boss? I actually think yes, because so Girl Boss was 2014, right? Mm-hmm. Am I am I right there? Okay, so I remember around 2010, 2011. All of a sudden, this like subculture of like sexy girls just wearing pasties riding, riding motorcycles was starting to come up. Oh my god! And you would see oh. these bad. I feel like that's where a lot of this badass stuff began. Mm-hmm. It was really prevalent in Portland. There were I, there are several girls I have in mind who were they were like so boy crazy. All they did was read horoscopes all the time about when they were going to get a boyfriend. Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, are riding motorcycles all the time. I'm posting Instagram photos where they're like naked on motorcycles and like 9,000 gross dudes are liking it. And <gasps> they they were like badass. That, that was like the hashtag they would use. You know what I mean? Like I saw them wearing like muscle shirts that said dumb stuff, like badass motorcycle club or something. It was <laughs> – I feel like and, – and I want to say this. This is not an insult to women who ride motorcycles. That is – Super cool. Super cool. This was yeah. this is like just don't wear the t shirt that's badass on it. Yeah. This was like women who were jumping on this as a way to be like sexy and yeah. meet men. Yeah. And it was like whereas my friend Janelle had gotten a motorcycle probably before any other woman I knew. And she is actually quite badass, you know. Yeah. So I I was shocked to see these girls not being like, I'm real sexy. She's like a- because- appropriating motorcycle culture to be like a sexy girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something that we are going to do an episode on down the road that we're both like kind of obsessed with is the like weird, gross sexiness Mm -hmm. of the early aughts. This, I feel like, was the transition out of it. It was the next step. I mean, and swear words were not being used on t-shirts at that time very much. Like it was, it maybe, it was super rare to see a swear word on a t-shirt. In 2013, Jen Sincero published this book, you are a badass. How to stop doubting oh. your your greatness and start living an awesome life, which was just like t- top of the charts, like New York Times. So, I mean, oh my god, so many people gave me that. So book. many people. So like it, you know, self help book to the max. But this was before Girl Boss, and I am wondering if there's some sort of connection because Girl Boss came out a year later, and I don't know. I mean, obviously, we don't live in a vacuum here, and I have a feeling that. You know, one one influenced another, influenced another, mm-hmm. and this like badass shit. It was just all part of like this 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 world that was being evolved that we just kind of started living in blindly. Um, you know, and this also really opened a lot of doors to more extreme left feminist badass merch, like the <laughs> "I bathe in male tears" oh, tea. I hate that stuff. And the infamous men's tears mug. There's also the white male tear mug, uh, tears mug, um, which is just a really dark, depressing angle. Um, and that demo is even more troubling to me. Like those people that that would go to work and drink out of a male men's tears mug is just it, it, it is everything I kind of just so, <laughs> I hate about this part of the culture. Don't you think? That these people who are going to work and drinking out of those mugs, buying the gear, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. That's I what I think. I, don't think I think because, you know, one thing that happens when you turn what is sort of like a 
set of beliefs, a social justice movement into a merchandising story is that you get tons of people buying into it who don't know what they're buying. You know, That's so and true. I, I yeah. mean, this is like every time I see something like that, I'm like, this is what all those gross men's rights activists think feminism is. And it's not. Yeah. It's not. And actually, it's really funny is I was doing a, bit, a bunch of research and on um, this this part particular stuff, mm. and I stumbled across a subreddit <gasps> that's so called. You get into Reddit now too. I well, you know, I occasionally like to dabble. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's called Ask Feminists, and essentially, it's this place where you can just ask feminist questions um, and discuss issues with feminists. You know, so if you whatever you wonder, you know, basically you can just put in there, and feminists will answer you, and not in like an aggressive way, you know, not in, not, not in the way that, that you, you know, you, you, you would imagine, you know, oh, oh, feminists are just, you know, it's a, it's a really nice, friendly atmosphere. So, um, there was, uh, someone asked about the men, the male tears mug and someone responded. I really like this response. So I'm going to read it. It says this kind of crap makes feminism seem less about equality and more about gendered warfare. <laughs> Also, male tear mugs make it seem like feminists are indifferent to male suffering or even enjoy it, which is clearly not the case. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think it sums it up too. It's like, mm-hmm. once again, you just don't know what you're doing. And that is why yeah. you shouldn't make merch around social justice. Yeah. Just stop. Which just stop, please. brings me to another micro trend that is totally based in social justice, which is the mental health microtrend. There was so much mental health product. And it was like a subgenre, right? It was directly tied with girl boss. In fact, there was a period where it seemed like every girl boss was doing an interview with someone about the importance of mental health as a girl boss, right? Which is yeah. ironic yes. because like then their employees are like in the office openly weeping yes. every day, yes. right? Oh my god, so much, or or secretly weeping, or just you know trying to be a girl boss and in in front of everyone else, but secretly going yeah, home and just yeah, it, being devastated. The, like this, the layers of hypocrisy. I mean, like all of this is in my rear view, and I'm still getting worked up right now. Yeah. So yeah. we have, I mean, lots of lots of brands jumped on this mental health thing, but Bando, I would say, which was formerly led by disgraced CEO Jen Gotch. They were the ones who really started this mental health as a merchandising story concept. Mm-hmm. They sold tons of products that were associated with mental health and also these like really elaborate day planners. <laughs> I mean, another yes, I, yeah. lots of tchotchkes. So they've been around for a few years. And I I knew that Jen Gotch had written a book. And honestly, my whole sense of time, because so much shit has happened in 2020 alone, is so skewed that I thought her book had come out years ago. It turned out her book actually came out this spring, like in March, I want to say. Wait, really? Yeah, see? And it's called oh. The Upside of Being Down, How Mental Health yeah. Struggles Led to My Greatest Successes in Work and Life. And it was like – it had the little blurbs on the cover, the front cover and the back cover by mm-hmm. Busy Phillips and, you know, Sophia uh-huh. from Nasty Gal and all kinds of other white women that people love, right? Yeah, exactly. Forbes magazine described it as – an entertaining, humorous, and inspirational memoir by the founder and chief creative officer of the multi-million-dollar lifestyle brand Bandeau, who has become a hero among women and likely some men too who struggle with mental health. And I was like, "Whoa! Like this looks like a book I would never read, but like maybe it's you know maybe I should." But mm-hmm. then 
I read the reviews on Amazon and there there were a few. God, I love reading Amazon reviews. I know. I love Amazon reviews. Me too. And they were mixed. They were all over the place Mm -hmm. as these things are. But if you're – Wait, have you you read the Amazon reviews for Nasty Gal, by the way? Or that – I'm sorry, um, Girlboss? I haven't. Are they good? It's funny. Okay. Well, I will because these were pretty funny. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for an inspirational tale of perseverance leading to success, this book is not for you. (laughs) Or how about (laughs) – Self-absorbed and without any real substance. Waste of a read. Love her on Instagram, but she really missed the mark here. That was like one of the nicer reviews. I was so hopeful with this book release, but it felt contrived, self-indulgent, and lacked a true voice of hope. In other words, I failed to find the upside. Scattered and felt like she was pumping her own brand. Oof. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So it kind of was exactly what I expected it to be. I mean, you can imagine her sitting in a room just being like, I want to do what Sophia does. Or maybe like even on the phone with Sophia. And she's like, you should you should write a book because it really will help you like build your own brand mm-hmm, identity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, oh. Like there were people <laughs> on Amazon who were like, I bought this book. Then I found out Jen, Jen was racist. And so I never read mm-hmm. it. Or now that I've – it's come out that she's racist. It's all pretty obvious to me from reading the book. So I think that's pretty mm-hmm. interesting too. In 2018, so a few years ago, Bandeau released a group of necklaces. They were like the nameplate kind, like Carrie Bradshaw wore. And they said things like anxiety, bipolar, and depression. 100% of the proceeds, which is nebulous language, by the way, doesn't mean it could mean all the money from the sales was donated. It could mean just a tiny mm-hmm. bit. It's very complicated. There's no legal rules around that. But essentially, this the sales of this benefited a mental health organization. Jen, just a just a mental, or did, did it was like one specific mental? I can't remember the name. Oh, it doesn't okay, matter. Okay, doesn't okay. Matter. okay. The, the idea, <laughs> at least according to Bando, was to reduce the stigma around mental illness, and of course, get some super sick PR, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the reception was not very good. Like I wrote in the notes here that it was pretty mixed, but actually, mostly it seemed like it was really bad. Right. Like some one person said. This doesn't explain – like, because I guess they, you know, they tried to respond and like, listen, we're trying to destigmatize mental health. And someone said, this doesn't explain how incredibly distasteful this is. Right. It's like labeling yourself. Like, you're literally labeling yes, yourself. exactly. Yeah. You know what it made me think of? Were those like medical yeah. bracelets where it would be like, I am allergic to bees or something, but instead it was in the middle of your chest. Yeah, like if you're going at a coffee shop and you see someone wearing like a bipolar, like would you like kind of slowly walk away? I don't know. Like, what <laughs> – what, I mean, I'm going to tell you this. I have bipolar disorder. I've had it since I was a teenager. It's been, knock on wood, under control for a really long time. I would not wear a bipolar Mm. necklace to work at all. That would be the end of my career. To work? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Another person said, my depression and anxiety and other mental illnesses are not your fashion statement. Because I guess there was some concern too that that people who didn't have mental health problems would buy these necklaces as a fashion statement, which is – very yes. dark. I was like, really? Would they? But I- there's definitely a lot of people that like to get attention uh, with mental health things, and even if they don't have it, they they like to to play that role. Yeah, you know? yeah. Another person said it's just a bit odd to walk around with the word depression literally in gold around your neck, as if some it's some kind of wonderful label oh. for us. And I agree. I agree. Not that you should. There should be no shame attached with mental illness. No, but you know what? No. Mental illness sucks. 
Feminism isn't a fashion trend and nor is mental health. I know, but these like went hand in hand because you know Jen Jen Gotch was like, I'm girl boss for sure. Mm -hmm. And I kind of was like, are people still doing this mental health merch? I went on to Etsy. God, guys. Oh, I know. Etsy. I know. (sighs) It was filled with shirts that say things like, Mental health matters in every font, mm-hmm. mostly cursive. <laughs> mostly cursive. <laughs> and I even saw a shirt that said, in search of serotonin. And I just, oh, oh like, I am going to say the terrible boss at the terrible job I had after Nasty Al, uh, she did an interview with Forbes or some shit, I don't even know, about mental health. And it was like, it's so important and people don't think about it with female CEOs, but we have mental health struggles too, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, like everybody in my office was like breaking down. Like everybody I've talked to who no longer works there is like, I'm still working through it. I mean, that's just how bad it was. And I know that's how it was at all these companies, you know? So – I'm sure it was that way at Bandeau, too, because I read the Glassdoor reviews. Just, like, ironic. There's so much irony here, but it's, like, not a fun irony. Uh, I was going to talk about self-care as a trend and, like, wellness, but that's, like, 17 episodes right there. So I did just want to shout out this book. I was telling Kim about it before we started recording. It is such a satire of girl boss culture, of all of the microtrends we're talking about here, about – wellness and just white women totally, you know, adopting other cultures and, you know, turning it into product for themselves. And it's called Self-Care and it's written by Lee Stein. I can't recommend it enough. The very first page has someone drinking out of a men's tears mug. Oh my God. I and love that. the second page has someone wearing a shirt that says Namaste. And I- <laughs> at first, I'm going to tell you, at first I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, this is too real for me. I've worked with these kinds of people, but it gets so fucking hilarious and absurd. And it just – I found it very, very enjoyable. Also, it's completely pink. So <laughs> – Is it just like trope after trope? It is. It is. But you know what? It's like – I feel like women don't get the opportunity to write a lot of satirical fiction. Mm-hmm. Like, because I think that there's a belief that women don't want that and that's not true. And – to read a satire of everything I have personally had to live and witness, <laughs> it felt really good. It felt like yeah. I'm not the only person who thinks a namaste shirt is fucking stupid. <laughs> but it's written very straightforwardly. Like you have to know it's a satire or you would believe that this was real. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, just exactly. so absurd. Every character is so absurd. There's like the normal person who's like the moral compass and everyone else around her is just insane. Highly recommended. Highly recommended from Amanda. Well, we'll definitely put it in the show notes, you guys. So, you know, check out the website and we will, you know, get you there so you can get that book. Um, And then I'm just going to go quickly into the the gig garbage, (laughs) I'm calling it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it is an offshoot of Girl Boss, which is this hustle culture and gig economy, the merchandise that kind of came out of this, you know, with people working multiple jobs and trying to find some joy in this culture of like working eight hour days or eight hour um, work days and, you know, like a million jobs just to achieve some modicum of success. Dude, I hate this. I've had multiple women bosses ask me what my side hustle was. Wait, serious? Yeah. And and one woman boss of mine was like, I really prefer to hire people who have a side hustle. And I was like, 
Why? Yeah. What do you want me to like focus on my work? You mean like a family? You're like, yeah. <laughs> like what? Is that? Yeah. What is that even? But I, th- I feel like I feel like this is the most toxic of all the trends. Mm-hmm. It is, and it actually it was so toxic. And I was reading about it and researching it. I got a headache two nights in a row, and I had to stop. So I'm really only doing. I'm touching on it so softly because I find it to be so disgusting and really bottom oh. of the barrel. But it's basically, you know, hashtag thank God it's Monday, T-G-I-M. Who says that? I oh. guess people do. It, hustle harder, hashtag hustle, um, tired and proud, rise and grind. It is, you know, there's a lot on about like staying humble and hustle hard as well, which was kind of interesting, like, I feel like more girl bosses should be taking that on as their mantra. Um, I, yeah, I think that the hustle culture just is so disgusting. I and you know, hearing <laughs> hearing that it's like it, it's a, it's an ask of of girl boss CEOs just is really interesting. Yeah, because you would think that yeah they want you, they'd want the full attention. I mean, it's I I find this so problematic because it really goes back to this idea that is completely untrue unless you have a certain level of privilege, which it's this like very flawed belief that if you just work really, really hard, Mm -hmm. you'll be successful. And that is in fact not true. Now, there were times in my life where I really believed that. And it's been in the past couple of years where I was like, yeah, no, no matter how hard I work, shit's not changing to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm not going to be CEO of this company because they only let men have that job, to be honest. Or yeah. I didn't I didn't go to Choate or some other like really fancy boarding school, so I'm automatically off the list. Or you know what I mean? Like like I was very aware of that, but only in the last few years. I would say, even in our nasty gal days, I kind of was like, if I just work really hard, this yeah. is all gonna pay yeah. off. And that's yeah. just not true. That's like this old timey, like just pull yourself up by your bootstraps idea that doesn't work if you don't already have a ton of generational wealth to draw from. Yeah. I mean, and there, you know, there was, there was this article from Refining29 um, that kind of talked about, um, you know, let 2020 be the year we get rid of girl boss culture for good. And she references that girl boss is a sexist Trojan horse, but I would say it is a Trojan horse of like hustle culture, sexism, capitalism disguises feminism. Like I, I, I think just the toxicity that just came in with that kind of, ugh. Well, it's interesting because, like, hearing you hearing you list all those things, yeah. it sounds like we're talking about like the Republican Party or something. Yeah. But ostensibly, these girl bosses, you know, they're like feminists. They're like the new Mm-mm. era of like, you know, being just liberal and progressive and like all these new like gender dynamics. But then, in fact, no, this is like so mm-hmm. old timey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just it confused the system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, or the lack of system, I guess. I mean, I I have this memory. I don't know where I saw this. I was in an office somewhere, and on the wall was a framed print. Yes. It was pink paper, and in, like, you know, some sort of serif font, it just said, hashtag hustle. Yes. There was, like, a lot of – if you look at, like, the WeWork – um, uh, interior design. There was a lot of that shit, oh. and a lot of it. A lot of it was in like um, fluorescent, l- like light up fluorescent, like hustle harder. Oh my god, I totally have seen neon that says that. Just hustle, like yeah. just a bunch of. Shit. I just hate that because that is just. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just. Uh... 
it really just takes advantage of of people. And, it, and, and it's, you know, a lot of a lot of what it was was like, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, you have that side hustle because the your actual job's not going to pay you enough. That's what I was going to say because that's what it really is, right? Mm-hmm. So if a boss says to me. I only like to hire people who have a side hustle. I assume that's because they're not going to make me a good offer. Like, let's be real here. Yeah. Why else yeah. would – you should be paying me a premium to get the best of my intellectual energy, right? So yeah. I just – yeah. I, it's also garbagey. It's definitely tied into this like gig economy, which, mm-hmm. you know, more millennials that I know than not are working all kinds of random jobs all the time. You know, maybe not yeah. right now because there aren't a lot to be had. But in the past, I would – God, my friend Jillian, I swear, had like seven jobs. Yeah, it's like burnout. It's like, oh, it's Tuesday. Well, first I do the bakery delivery in the morning, and then I nanny for four hours, and then I go do this. And I'm just like, how do you keep it straight? You know? Yeah. Hustle, man. Just hustle. I just, I would love for a black hole to just open up and swallow that whole thing up. Totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. So, another micro trend in here were these like icons, like strong women, you might call them badass babes, perhaps, who. They're suddenly their faces were on pins, uh, t-shirts, mm-hmm. patches, notebooks. I mean, they're probably so much more. Candles, definitely lots of candles. Lots of candles. Lots of candles. So it was like uh-huh. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Dolly Parton, Elizabeth Warren, Hillary. Hillary was on a ton of stuff. People mm-hmm. were buying little like pantsuit paper dolls, you know. Beyonce. Uh, and there was just so much product. Golden Girls were a huge part of this. They all had that mm-hmm. moment that same time. And I will say that around that time, I had mono. And so I watched all of the Golden Girls. <laughs> it was very <laughs> comforting. Really it's really good if you're sick. Like, Golden Girls will make you feel good. And you know what? That show was really progressive. <laughs> it holds up better than most sitcoms of that era. I'll tell you that. And it's really – it makes really strong statements about ageism – about women and their value at different ages in their lives. I mean, I thought it was really, really good to see it as an adult. Um, there was also at the same time all of this like boobs, uteruses, butts, yep, all of our products. Of so many naked lady butt and boob, print, boob prints. I remember the first boob and butt prints I saw were at Gravel and Gold in San Francisco and then suddenly everyone had them. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's trickled to a lot of interior stuff and like mugs and <laughs> – um, uh, bath mats. Mm-hmm. I one time was at the Line Hotel in LA in Koreatown and I floated on a boob shaped floaty. Uh, there, <laughs> I have seen very high end butt candles. It's kind of like the 80s. Remember it's, when like boobs and butts were really yeah, big in the 80s? Yeah, they definitely, it, it is totally like the 80s. Um, there was also, and this was, this was a trend that was, um, adopted by all the price points of fashion, so all the way down to like you know Fashion Nova or something. Mm-hmm. It was like a shirt that would have appliques over the boob zone to either imply mm-hmm. boobs or pasties. There's just so much stuff. Classy. I'm guys, uh-huh. there's oh, there's so much product, just so much, <laughs> so much product. Pencils and pens with empowering statements mm-hmm. and postcards and feminist coloring books. You know? Oh yeah, the feminist coloring books. Oh my god, what about those cards? Um, the astrology cards. What are those? Not astrology. Um, tarot? Tarot cards. I remember seeing a bunch of tarot cards. Oh, there were a lot of like badass women tarot mm. cards. I mean, it was just – Puzzles. You name, oh, you name a product that could have like RBG on it, it yeah. did. You know? Um, it just – and once again, 
this allowed a lot of designers and artists to build a business. Like this was like RBG was a fem- was like was a was was commoditized. Mm-hmm. Isn't that so interesting? It's so it's so interesting. I would I would say based on my experience, you know, working in the feminist product zone for quite a while, uh RBG was probably the biggest one. I would say Yeah, was, what were your what were your biggest hits? Um RBG, Golden Girls, anything. Mm-hmm. Dolly Parton still going strong. Dolly Parton still going strong here. Mm-hmm. Hillary until the election was over, and then it was like, uh, when Hillary moved out, Beyonce moved in. We could put Beyonce on anything, mm-hmm. and people would buy it. So <laughs> there you go. I see a lot less of this going on now. Once again, I think all of the Hillary Clinton candles and the RBG coloring books are in the drawers with the feminist T-shirts. I mean, because this was like <laughs> massive consumerism. Yeah, just. You would buy it for your friends. You'd buy it for yourself. Totally. It's just like this whole thing. Totally. And once again, people built businesses upon this. And so it was great because I've seen people who started in that game then of like making these like icon or other feminist pins and whatnot transition into totally different things now because they had the finances to get there, you know? Like mm-hmm. Big Bud Press started as a place that sold pins and patches. You know, uh, Tuesday Bassin, the same thing. And there are lots of others too. It's exciting that people could build a business out of it who were small businesses. But you have to remember that big businesses adopted this stuff too. So it's just insidious. I mean, the problem is that people just bought a lot of shit that they didn't need. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also – we're going to talk about the irony of Girlboss here a little bit more, about the irony of feminist product. It's this idea – the myth of supporting a cause by buying this like feminist product, the ethics of a feminist tea, if you will. So mm-hmm. you look at all these girl bosses, and we kind of touched on it in the last episode. There's they're supposed to be these like feminist icons, but feminism is a movement that is about social justice, environmental justice, anti-racism. It's not really about selling shit, right? Although I will yeah. say that um just wanted to give a shout out. We kind of we kind of got our first troll on yeah. our on our the department Instagram account this week who was trying to argue with us that we were telling people they couldn't I don't know, like we were trying to silence <laughs> feminists by saying they shouldn't make money off of feminism and then I had to jump in there and school her and then she never wrote back. So, I don't know, I don't know, but like think about like how Bando was selling people lots of plastic tchotchkes that are like semi-disposable, except they're going to be like in the landfill for a thousand years. Exactly. Totally bad for the environment. The people don't need them. But hey, look, we're doing this like good thing for mental health, whatever that was, right? Think about Sophia being like, I'm a girl boss. I'm a role model for all these women, but I'm selling fast fashion at Nasty Gal, which literally exploits women all over the world. Right. 80% of garment workers globally are women. Those women are harassed physically, sexually, and mentally in the workplace. They make poverty wages, and they work in dangerous and unsanitary conditions. But hey, girl boss, all right? Yeah. <laughs> girl boss. And then it's it's like, let's just talk about the, the masses. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I could talk about this shit for like a month I know, straight. I know, you can. I, I get really riled up about it. But Let's just talk about the feminist tees themselves because, God, they were just everywhere. 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 It started with, say, Other Wild and The Future is Female. Mm -hmm. Within six months, they're at Forever 21. 
Mm-hmm. And they're on the runway. They were like high low. Yeah, it was all the price points. Everyone could get a feminist I was like, tea. I was like, you can get a $700 feminist tea or you can get like a $2 feminist tea. And like once again, I just wish I could find a statistics that was like 965,000 feminist teas were sold. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that would be way too low because I would guarantee hundreds of millions yeah. of feminist teas. Teas alone were sold. I would actually say I bet at least a billion. Just doing the math here. Yeah. Population. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, well, you, you know what would be interesting is, you know, we do have a lot of um, listeners that work in resale and um, vintage and I, I bet they have come across tons and tons of these teas. That's what I'm wondering. I I could see it either way because I think people may feel too guilty to donate them still. Mm. But maybe when Biden is in office in January, there's going to be a run of donating your feminist tees to the Goodwill because suddenly you're like, mm, mission accomplished. Everything's good now. <laughs> Toss that out. Switch mission it for a tube top. Oh, I'm just going to wipe my well, hands. done. Clean we that. did it, guys. Let's we did along. it. Did anyone make reservations for brunch? Because we're going. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I could see that. Like, I'm serious, Kim. I could see that because I think there are a lot of people who are like, well, we did it. Yeah, no, exactly. Finally, I can relax. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I don't need this damn thing anymore. But so we'll see. Um, if you work in resale, please have you let us know. Have you seen them yet? You have to let me know if you see them after, you know, January 20th. I just need to know, right? <laughs> so let's just talk about these feminist teas alone. Now, there's tons of other problematic product out there. We got the mugs. We got the pins, the patches, the notebooks, the candles. The magnets. I, th- there's probably calendars. Calendars and, and candles and fake and tattoos. I saw those. Yeah. Oh, fake tattoos. That said things like badass mm. earrings, necklaces, there's jackets. There's probably like clocks. Just like jackets. Oh, yeah. Remember when those like, oh, like, those like kind of like, kind of, oh, God, what were they? Like, like aviator jackets or something? That Yeah, like the souvenir sort of windbreakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tote bags, Toe wallets. Bag. I mean, there's stickers. Guys, there's so much stuff. Anyway. Let's just focus on the T-shirts here. So in 2014, Benedict Cumberbatch, I've always wanted to say his name out loud, and I'm doing it. He wore a shirt that said, this is what a feminist looks like on the on – the, I think it was on the cover of British L. It was sold by the British brand Whistles, and it sold for 48 pounds, which I want to say – I mean, all the currency is fluctuating a lot like right now. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking 65. So yeah, somewhere in that zone. An investigation discovered that the women who sewed it were paid a dollar per hour. So, that, hey, guess what, guys? That is like most clothing we buy, mm-hmm. unfortunately. You know, a lot of retailers made a lot of money off of these teas, as we've said. And it gave some smaller brands like Other Wild with their Futurist Female yep. and Wild Fang with their Wild Feminist the cash flow to grow. And Other Wild, like we said, did donate to Planned Parenthood, which was right, awesome. right, right. But in most cases, these teas were made of like off-the-shelf blanks that were most likely not ethically made, uh, because if they were, the shirts would have had to cost way more than forty dollars. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. just the reality. Um, because I am am and have well, I'm not anymore, but have been very deep in the feminist tea biz. Let me tell you, if you're gonna sell a feminist tea for forty dollars, which was pretty much the going price in 2016 and 2017, and you're going to make a donation of the proceeds from that, uh, that tea would have to cost, when all was said and done, 
you know, the tea exists, mm-hmm. it's printed, any labeling, shipping, all that stuff. It would need to cost between ten and twelve dollars. And honestly, I reached a point where I was pushing that down to eight or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would include, like I said, everything. That price is one hundred percent not possible when you're paying the workers a living wage and they're working in good conditions. Mm-hmm. And forty dollars was like the slightly more premium tea. Oh, yeah. Because you know, there were places like H&M, Zara, Forever 21, even Nasty Gal. They were selling all these feminist tees. I think the Forever 21 version was like $10. So really bad. I, I always tell people like if you uh, – in general, if you want to calculate how, some, how much someone made by sewing the garment you're wearing, it's about – in the best – this is the best case scenario – it's 4% of what you paid for it. Mm. So if you paid $10 for something, then 40 cents of that went to everyone who touched that garment. So, you know, the people who worked in the textile mill, the people who worked in the dye house, the screen printers, the sewers, the person who QA'd and packed it up, 40 cents is not very much money, right? <laughs> anyway, I do that I do that math a lot to kind of validate, like, is this too expensive? Is this not expensive enough? Like that kind of thing. And I mean, why would you wear a feminist tee if, where someone got paid a few cents to make it? Yeah. Right? This was a great quote that I found. It's a good reminder that a progressive slogan doesn't necessarily make something progressive by osmosis. Yeah. Right? Like, so your shirt might say, like, feminists are badass bitches or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know. That doesn't make the t-shirt like a noble item. And I also just want to say that a lot of this give back stuff is very nebulous. It is the language, a portion of proceeds, a portion of profits doesn't actually mean anything legally. And in most cases, if it's a business that has any sense, they're not just deducting the cost of that shirt from the profit. They're also saying the graphic designer who created it, the marketing team who promoted it, all their salaries, the buyers, their salaries, uh, the price it cost for us to receive it at our warehouse and put it away and anything else that went along with it, the cost of listing it on our site. So ultimately, there's very little profit left at the end of the day. And then you're like, oh, 10% of, of $9, great. We're giving 90 cents, mm-hmm. you know? So it's it's just not that impactful. And those donations in general come 90 you know, 180, a whole year, all these, you know, like a really long time after the sale of that shirt. Because they're not, every time they sell a shirt, like quickly Venmoing Planned Parenthood. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're doing it during specific times of the year when they have to sort of balance the books. So it's not immediate. And if you really want to support Planned Parenthood, the best thing you could do is just give them some money. Yeah. And skip the t-shirt, right? So I just had to give that lecture. And then – I wanted to talk about this whole NDA thing because it just seems like one thing that all the shitty companies have in common, whether there's a girl boss running them or not, is that the workers have to sign these NDAs either to accept employment or to get some paltry severance package. Yes. Yeah. It's basically just like pushed in front of you and that's and you don't really have an option. Because you're like, I fucking need money. I either need this job or I need this two weeks of severance yeah. to like pay for my Cobra or something. And so – what that really does is prevent former workers from speaking out about what happens there. And I think it is incredibly unethical. And 
I think it's time for that practice to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have an NDA from one of my jobs that I would love to get out of uh, because I have so much to tell the world. So if anybody who's listening to this has a lawyer friend or is that lawyer friend, <laughs> please hit me up. <laughs> because I, I mean, I think that what needs to happen is a bunch of people need to break their NDAs all at once and then they will become meaningless. Oh, interesting. I just think it, it like, it hurts workers. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely hurts workers. Uh, does Glassdoor, because if you post on Glassdoor, technically it, there's no, um, there's no way that it can really get back to you. I mean, I've always wondered about that. Ostensibly, no. But like, what if it could? And if you work for a small enough place, like Bando, for example, I remember had a very small team. And so there was like, I read messages where people, like Glassdoor reviews where people were fearful. They were like, they're going to know it's me. Mm-hmm. I'm the only person who's had this job title in like the last three years, you know? And so even though technically they shouldn't know who you are, they, they could. could. I don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and you could get, I think you could get in trouble for that. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think they could like prosecute you. The NDA that I had to sign said that I would never say anything negative about the company publicly or privately. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what? They're just going to cover their asses on all fronts. They're like, you better not be talking to your husband about us. (laughs) (laughs) We'll know. (laughs) Speaking of of your husband, we are nearing the end of of this episode. We have one more part, but there is one more part about uh, Girl Boss that I think is absolutely hilarious. And it's when we we got laid off. (laughs) I know what it is. When we got laid off. From Nasty Go, <laughs> her husband, I guess you, you was your boyfriend actually at the time. Yeah, we weren't even engaged. You, you want to tell the story? I mean, you tell it. It's funnier when you tell it. Well, he, he took to social media. Okay, so like, so the. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we got we got laid off, and we were like one of the first of like the the, the big groups of layoffs that was happening, and there. Um, and Sophia posted this picture on her social media of her just like, I guess on a couch with her like, I don't remember, like arm over her face. You know, in like $5,000 dress. Just being like, oh, what a day. You know, like, oh, uh-huh. oh, oh, sucks for you. And so Amanda's um, husband, boyfriend at the time, started to kind of troll her by putting fart emojis. <laughs> well, it was like, it would be like a butt. Like, I think it was the peach and then yes. puffs of air. That's right. Well, he yes. first wrote, he just wrote, <laughs> you, you are a fart. You are a fart. <laughs> and it like, it was up for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny to think about how much time and money people were spending deleting comments from Sophia's <laughs> Instagram and many other celebrities out there. And so then he started doing the emojis. <laughs> just the farts. And they would last longer. They would last longer okay can i just say that he was never blocked no because like a week later he went on there and did the emojis again oh, yeah, just kept doing it it was so funny so funny <laughs> oh, like, that's a good man amanda that is a good man and now we're married it's all because <laughs> good lord uh. <laughs> which is like so funny because like of course you know, the day we get laid off, we are, 
it's it's upsetting, but also just like mm. the day, the moment I the walked relief. out the door of that office, oh. yeah, just relief. Like I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen, where I'm going to get a job. LA is a very expensive place to work without a job. Mm-hmm. Very little money in the bank. Not sure what I'm going to do here. And yet, oh, just felt so good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a shock and it was it was a shock. It took a, took a lot of recovery as well over here. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, like, let's talk about that mm-hmm. because I know we're not the only ones who had the nightmare girl boss scenario or who was just like worked in a toxic work environment at all. Yeah. You know, uh, Selena Sanders, who is a friend of mine hi, uh, through Close Horse. Hi, Selena. Hi, Selena. Hi. Uh, <laughs> anyway, she – I know she messaged you. She was messaging you on the Instagram. Plus, I talked to her also. The Instagram. <laughs> the Instagram. <laughs> And uh, she was expressing a concern about sort of history repeating itself here where there was going to be this new round of girl bosses, maybe like not in like fashion anymore or retail, but like in politics. And she was citing, you know, like some people who, you know, they're kind of dodgy. Like I remember reading that Amy Klobuchar, who was smart, right? She's like, probably really great at being a politician, that she was like really nasty and terrible to her staff. And yeah. there's some story I'm trying to remember where she made someone eat a salad with a, oh, a comb. A comb, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're like, you know, listen, I am – I cried when I realized that Kamala was going to be in the White House. Like, like just cried, you know. Mm-hmm. But there are people in California who are very concerned about her record, you know. Uh, word on the street is that Hillary Clinton is a nightmare to work with. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. That's just speculation. But the point is, like, we need this new generation of women leaders, whether it's in politics or anywhere else, to be good people. Yeah. And I do believe the politician archetype is different than the CEO archetype because there's just a, there's a little less glamour there. I mean, honestly. That's true. And I do think that there are, like, these incredible women who – are, you know, changing politics right now for us. You know, we've got AOC. I mean, she's like a normal person. To me, a normal person. Like someone I'd hang out with, you know? Or Cori Bush, you know, like buying thrift store clothes to go to Congress. I think she's in Congress. I mean, that's amazing. We need to lift up those women and throw our support behind them. And when someone makes you eat a salad with a, with a fucking comb. Uh-huh. You need to like immediately tweet that shit. Exactly. Like I just, yeah. I think it's the lack of transparency, this culture of NDAs, of fearfulness, mm-hmm. of like what's going to happen next to my career, especially as a woman, that makes us like, I don't know, like hide, hide these monsters yeah. kind of. Well, I mean, the new wave of female founders has the opportunity to finally actually make that difference. And the same thing mm-hmm. goes for politicians. And like you were saying, I think that this accountability – like the age of accountability is going to offer us this new opportunity. June 22nd, an article on Medium with writer Lee Stein proclaimed the end of girl bosses here. She said, the girl boss didn't change the system. She thrived within it. Now this, that system is cracking and so is the icon of millennial hustle. So, so systematic changes are the only solution to this. And the turning point, of course, was with the Black Lives protests and then that ability for individuals to actually keep companies and people accountable. And I think that that's going to be the big change here. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I think something Selena brings up a lot, like on Instagram, the Instagram okay. that I'm constantly reminding myself is that the mission is not accomplished. We no. need to continue to hold people accountable mm-hmm. and question when they're not delivering their promises. So like I hate to call it call out culture. Yeah. That's not what I'm really getting at. But calling things out is really important. So like, oh, you said you're going to like not be racist anymore and you're going to start having black models and hire more black people for your leadership roles. Uh, Yeah. Can I get some stats on where you are with that? Like seriously asking all the time Mm -hmm. because everyone's hope is that we're going to forget. Yeah. Yeah. It'll just – that would have just been a trend. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That worries me. Imagine – not being racist, just being a trend. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I mean, know, just like and feminism. it worries me. Be- it, yeah, exactly. It worries me because I saw it happen with feminism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, in the first episode, we talked about how investors looked for a specific type of founder, one with like a huge following and this alpha personality. And we can only hope that these investors change the way that they actually invest and that they will understand, as Amanda always mentioned on her podcast, Close Horse. Don't give money to assholes. Um, and that they actually practice their own version of conscious consumerism in investing. You know, don't invest in assholes. You know? I mean, I love that. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was in like a pitch-a-thon mm-hmm. for a lot of different uh, women and femme-led startups. And one of them was like – I, I don't remember all the full details, but it was basically like an investment group that would allow you to invest your money in companies that were legitimately actually 100% like not assholes. Yeah. And, you know, when you hear that, you think that people are talking about like, oh, they have like sustainable energy or something. Like, because that's, that's the best we can hope for most of the time. But they were making like really powerful points that I loved. Like they said, for example, would you want to invest in a company that laid off a bunch of workers just to maintain profitability? And you're like, no, actually, I would not. Like that is the kind of environment we need to be fostering. Mm-hmm. That that there are people involved. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's actual people making all these things, and yeah, behind all yeah. these brands because it's so hard to lose that. Well, yeah. Per- yeah. personally, recovery, Amanda. You know, how did you? How what? How how did you heal from all of this? I mean. <laughs> I I still think that I am. Uh, I think it's been really good for me in a weird way to not have a job for eight months mm-hmm. because I went from nasty gal to just, just such a terrible toxic environment to a big corporate retailer where there was a lot of like, man, there was just like so much drama and like weird mm-hmm. sociopaths and leadership mm-hmm. that it was like stressful in a different way. But it just reminded me that there are terrible people of all genders in business. You know, in all these places I worked, there were good people too. I cannot underscore that enough. I mean, you and I met at Nasty Gal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there were great people in all of these different options in my life or these different times in my life. But I needed a time to just get away where I could be like, who am I? Who am I when you take away all the work experience, the like having to like cope so much every day with so much just insanity happening around me? You know, like who am I? Like what am I proud of about myself? You know, like that, it's it's like I've been rebuilding Mm -hmm. that. You know, like if I were still working at my last job, I wouldn't be there. I I mean, even in this last job, I was like, I'm such a fucking piece of shit. Like that's how I felt. 
you know? Yeah, it destroys <laughs> you. Exactly. I just had not, I not, had not had the energy or time to start rebuilding myself. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that there needs to be more training from, you know, the education level or corporate level of, le- of leadership of like, you know, how to, to really like instill confidence in your employees and like try to build them up a little bit more. I mean, I don't, I just don't think it's like, it's not, it's not important as important as it should be because it is so disastrous. Well, and you don't want someone to become really confident and suddenly be like, wait, could I do a better job than our girl boss? Right. And like take your job. Not that that's even going to happen, right? But I think that that is part of it because I've definitely had women bosses in my career who did not want me to succeed. You know, like like we said, 30% of people, the envy is like their yeah. primary personality. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do think like – it's really about changing what we think of as the ideal leader mm-hmm. because it's not someone with a big ego who always says the right thing and role models. Just so we talked about, yes. we talked about the like, lack of role models. Oh, like, yeah. I'm still I mean, trying to find a role model. You know, like who do I? Look I know. Up to? I mean, I'm ex- I'm excited for younger girls now because they have like AOC. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have anything like that. Yeah. I mean, my strongest role model as like a girl growing up was Madonna. Yeah, Madonna. I know. I was going to say, we get Madonna? Who else? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can't think of anyone. You know what I mean? Like a virgin. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we had, guys. I know. Yeah, I I, can't. Barbara Bush? No. (laughs) No. I feel like Nancy. No, Nancy. Oh Reagan? my god. No, and then like I feel like when none of them when I was like, pr- pr- uh, what's her, what's her name? The princess, um, Princess Diana. Maybe. Yeah. Princess maybe. Diana. I mean, not no. for me, but maybe for British no. girls. I'd love to hear what those of you who grew up in Barbie. The UK. Barbie. <laughs> Miss Piggy. <laughs> Miss Piggy is trending, guys. Trend yeah. alert, Miss Piggy. Keep your eyes Miss out. Suddenly <laughs> you'll be seeing her everywhere. I'm serious. I keep hearing people talk about her. It's in the ether. Piggy? Yeah. Microtrend, Miss mm-hmm. Piggy, just calling it mm-hmm. now. Um, I guess like for me, it was like I transitioned from Madonna to like Courtney Love. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I not a great role model. Yeah, and then I don't even know beyond that. It's just like they're the Lilith Fair crowd. Ugh. I mean, they're all actually probably like really nice, stable people. So that would have been a good idea. I think that's probably why I was doing so many drugs all the time because there's just like nothing else to pin your hopes on. <laughs> so 90s it's such a 90s <laughs> I will say that sometimes I will like read books from the 90s or like watch movies from the 90s that were really considered like to really define or at least portray what it was like to be Generation X and it does seem like things were really dark for them too like Girl Interrupted yeah well no that's mm-hmm. so that might be even older than like I I mean, it was that was the era of the media they were exposed to, but I think that that story takes place in like the '60s. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, think about like reality bites. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel like people, Gen X people, felt the same sort of like I don't have a role model. Meandering. Uh, I mean, they were not bosses. <laughs> they were not bosses, you <laughs> know, because bosses. the boomers were, and like yeah. they. You know, there were like that was the dawn of the era of like just because you went to college doesn't mean you're going to get a job. Exactly. You know, like we accepted that for our generation, but like for them, it was like, wait, what? 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I would still encounter people working at the coffee shop who would be like, oh, I have a master's degree and I make coffee. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't know what to say. That's how, that's what my life's going to be too, you know? Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I do think role models, there needs to be more. And we need to think about like what that role model, what a good role model is. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like the the girl boss has the girl boss empire that you know that Sophia built after Nasty Gal, she was attempting to to commoditize that a little bit. Can you imagine commoditizing role models? No. I know. I mean, that's once again. I think, unfortunately, you know, we live in this capitalist system where you got to come with your angle and you got to make money off of it. But maybe there are certain things that have nothing to do with that. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, we're not solving the world's problems here. We're just no. chit-chatting about it. And, you know, we're going to leave all the show notes here uh, on the website. It's thedepartment.world. Um, and make sure to go there. We leave lots of lots of good information and tidbits. Um, it also has links to everything. And please make sure to follow us on our Instagram account. It's underscore the underscore department uh, where we leave lots of, you know, memes and things and talk about all the new um the new episodes and stuff like that so um you know make sure to follow us there and you can also check out amanda on clothes horse podcast yeah which yeah is a little bit more political about the um the fashion industry which is really fascinating she's got a really big following she covers a lot of really interesting topics there yeah i mean it's it started out as a podcast about fashion but i think now it's really more about like consumerism mm-hmm. and capitalism and like social justice and all kinds of other things and i was telling um Kim, before we started recording, that like last night totally got bombarded by the MAGA people for the first time ever. So I think, I think I've arrived, you know? I almost, it almost sounded like you said maggot people when you <laughs> I said mean, that. <laughs> not a coincidence. Kind of. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you can also check out Clothes Horse, but not if you're a troll. Please don't. I, I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> if you're a troll, I was telling, I was giving Kim some advice about hashtags because. Trend alert, guys. I was actually thinking, like, should we do an episode about this trend? The trend is internet trolling. It's obviously a tragic trend. You know, Mm -hmm. one way that – I mean, first off, apparently, you know, as we know, 30% of people have envy as their primary personality archetype. Perhaps another 30% have trolling. (laughs) Exactly. A lot. People are literally just sitting around right now creating fake accounts so that they can come and troll hashtags. Mm -hmm. And it's depressing. Mm-hmm. And I think actually that would be like a really cool episode. Like when did trolling start? How did people troll one another before the That's internet? Interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. If you if anyone's interested in that as a topic, let me know. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll break it out. Cause I was thinking like, how would you troll people before the internet? Would you like send them anonymous letters? Right? I think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. You like eat like maybe email. But what about the, what about pre-internet? How do you troll people? I think you it's like letters. I write think it in is, the sky. I think it's think like you, know, you call it your typewriter <laughs> and you write. <laughs> oh, and you know what else? You write letters to the editor and letters mm. to like com- letters to com- of complaint yep. to businesses. Okay, this is gonna, yep. I think we're gonna have to do this as a show in the year. There is a really really good reference to this in um one of my favorite tv shows i on right now which is what we do in the shadows mm. where the energy vampire just like sets up all these fake accounts and to kind of get some boosts he be- he like trolls people <laughs> it's hilarious there you go guys highly recommend we got a trend um, so here 
also, yeah, so definitely, you know, leave us some DMs, uh, you know, slide into our DMs. Make sure that you can email us. You can you could do a lot of things. We'd love to hear from you about what you'd like to hear from us. Um, you know, also, please do leave us a star rating if you can on Apple Podcasts. Uh, a review would be nice as well if you got a couple minutes. I mean, come uh, on. It only has to I'm, be like one word, which is like good. <laughs> but what if you please, did hashtag girl boss? Please leave a couple more words. <laughs> and do not leave hashtag. Amanda, these are terrible How about hashtag mompreneur? <laughs> oh, mompreneur. She-e-o. Oh. <laughs> don't do she-e-o because that one like triggers me. I don't know why, but it like fills me with like Hulk rage. <laughs> <laughs> Badass Babes Club. Oh, dude. I worked somewhere that sold that shirt. Okay. Badass Babes Club. It really said that. People bought oh, it. People. I mean, it's everywhere. Oh, it's there's so many of it. So many. Well, thank you for joining us for what I hope be our final installment of Girl Boss. Yes, I really hope so too. I would love to stop talking about Girl Boss. Me too. I need to move on. It's like breaking my brain. <laughs> we did it for the fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.